1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. Hey everybody, it's Adrian, and if you're listening to this silky, silky smooth voice, you know what it is. You got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome back. So great to have you all back. Uh, we just came off the tail end of a great conversation. The first episode of the season had a great conversation with a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Brad Onishi, and it was an absolute blast. He's a true treasure, a wonderful human being. Uh, left me in tears at the end of that interview. Really wasn't expecting, expecting the tears, but that's how you know they're doing good. That's how you know it's a good show. If you're crying at the end of it, I think that's a measure of success, right? Anyway, speaking of a measure of success, I am quite, quite happy. I consider any show I get to have with friends a success. And so today's episode, I have two guest co-hosts. They are the co-hosts of the Recovery podcast, which is a podcast about leaving ministry, recovering from being a professional Christian, and finding meaning after a calling. They are friends of the show. They're friends of mine. We're going to get into it. Let's give it up for Sarah Heath and Justin Gentry. Hey, friends. Hey, hey. Hey. I'm so glad we were able to do this. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah. So glad to do it with you. Absolutely. I mean, I love an irreverent collab, you know? Yeah. And irreverent reverence. Yeah. I love a crossover event. Perfect. Where in the world are we all located? Great question. I am in Costa Mesa, California. And I am in the not as exciting sounding Columbus, Ohio. Got it. Got it. How's everything in Ohio, Justin? Uh, you know, pretty, yeah, pretty um, <laughs> I, I am. I'm not in the path of the toxic cloud. If that's what you're <laughs> asking. The, the, the American Chernobyl. Yes. I am asking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm relatively safe from that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that aren't, but. So far, I'm relatively safe from disasters in Ohio. He says that, but he had to shelter in his car yesterday for an hour. And it's That's like true. someone who doesn't have to deal with tornadoes, like his children were stuck in their school. So I don't know that like Ohio is doing great. It doesn't sound We great. had a February tornado. Uh, so oh, I was, um, yeah, and it hit right as kids were letting out of school. So like my kids' elementary school, I was with my two-year-old son as well and like they had buses there already from other elementary schools and they evacuated those buses into their elementary school it was and they they actually offered to shelter any parents that were there in the school but i kind of looked at the radar and it was far enough away and i was like i'm gonna be able to shelter this child in my car with like chips and his toys much better than in like a crowded basement if i feel like i need to get into school i was like 30 feet away so i wasn't right there yeah. It was a risk, but I was like, it's going to be a lot better for everybody if this very frustrated two-year-old is just with me. So 
So the folks in, in Ohio, y'all are just doing really, really good. There's not a lot going on. Nothing is happening yeah, there. Yeah, nothing else. Really is slow, really slow year yeah. for you all. Jeez. Well, thanks for being on the show, Justin. Yeah, no, it's a delight. Uh, it means a lot that you're braving both uh, negligence-ridden uh, disasters yes. as well as natural disasters. Yeah. Well, listen, friends, I uh, want to jump in and I want to start this conversation with you all the way I start every conversation with all of my guests. Um, I want to ask if you were a church kid. And if so, what did that look like for you within your framework? I figured we could take a little bit of time to talk about that before we jump into our topics. That sound good? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I guess I can start since I'm the furthest on your screen as we're recording this. Um, I grew up in Canada, so being a church kid looked totally different than it did when I moved at 14 to Mississippi. So from the time I was like little bitty, I went to church, but it wasn't the same sort of church culture as there is here. I went to church with a lot of my friends, even those who were not uh, from Christian families every Monday, because that's where choir was. And there was a great like candy store next to it. So we would go to the candy store and then we'd go to church choir and everybody went. Didn't matter what <laughs> like denomination or even faith you were. Everybody went mostly so that you could get chips, you know, before going to choir. And also I was part of a like youth group. That was every single kid in my tiny, tiny town in Canada, like did not matter denomination, any kid who wanted to come. There was just like one youth group. That was it. There was one youth group. But I think it happened like once a month or twice a month. It was not the same. But then I moved to Mississippi when I was 14. And that's when I became a super church kid. I, <laughs> I joke around that, like, you know, I just really wanted to be an American. And the only thing I had, you know, in Mississippi, the first thing they ask is your name. And the second is what church do you go to? So I really like I bought into the whole thing, the evangelicalism, the I remember calling home to Canada and telling my friend that I was really excited about my new boyfriend because he really loved the Lord. And she was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like She was so confused. <laughs> and did I join a cult and all that sort of stuff? But I grew up in this very different culture and then really embraced evangelicalism. And truthfully, that's where I was able to find friends so quickly when you're moving cultures and countries and areas. Also went to church camp. I worked at a summer camp. And now that I think about it, I worked for free every summer at this inner varsity camp um, that I loved. And I would say that a lot of my leadership skills, honestly, I got from that summer camp. I would contend you were paid in Sloppy Joe's and Sunburn. Yes, Sloppy Joe's, <laughs> Sunburn, and like you know, like a little summer romance every summer, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like le writing letters across the lake because girls and boys camp were separated. That's part of the total package. Yeah. You were paid in midriff shame. Yeah. But then then I got wise and started working at adventure camp, which is when they had both genders together. And we worked with the littlest kids. And I actually really liked that. That was really fun. And I got to do sort of drama. That was mm. my part of summer camp. But yeah, got it. I grew up a church kid, although my parents are people of faith. They're not they were never forceful. <laughs> I think at one point my fundamentalism confused them a little bit. Like we're like, this is what <laughs> this is not how we raised you. like this. This is from you. This is your idea. Although they're probably going to listen to this and be like, why did you use the F word really quickly? And <laughs> sorry, mom and dad. It's all right. It's it's par for the course on the show. So you're in good company with it. I know. I don't even use it that much, but it felt like that was oh. the only way. To describe, because my friend actually said that word when she found out that I was dating a guy who really loved the Lord. You <laughs> didn't curse. It was a quote. No, it's a quote. It's a quote. It's oh, that's thing. fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. All right, cool. So that I feel like that kind of 
sets the stage for me when I think about you, Sarah, right? Like transplant, let me get as homogenized into culture. And yes, I mean, what better way? You said it perfectly. I mean, when you move to the US, I mean, if you want like a, a, a surefire way to like make friends, uh, at least at the surface level, you join a church. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, how about you, sir? I also was a church kid. Um, it's hard to describe because it's I it wasn't forced. He's getting squirmy. Well, because well, I my mother may listen to the show and <laughs> she does. Mine already heard me say the F word and she's so sweet. She'll be like, Sarah, she does take she takes issue when she's like, we didn't force you. And which is is true to an extent. But also, I went to church every Sunday. I was at church every Wednesday. I went to church Sunday night. I went to a private Christian school. I don't know that church was forced on me so much as it was the only option. (laughs) (laughs) You either can go to church or don't go to school. Yeah, that's all we got. So, yeah, and we had church at school. So, yeah, definitely a church kid. And also, I had a lot of positive experiences in church, too. I didn't have a lot of the immediately traumatic church experiences that some people have mine were much later when i realized oh i shit i actually believe this um those kind of immediate abuse scenarios or something that just it wasn't something that happened to me i actually really excelled at church i found it to be a place where people recognized you know that i was a leader that i was someone that could do something so it was just like a confluence of a lot of things where it's like they really like me here and they really think i'm something special so why would i not come to this thing And so that just continued. And then I went to undergrad and graduate school to get degrees and trying to be a pastor. So it's like from the cradle to really my early 20s. Yeah, I was a church kid. I love that you define it as you excelled at it. It There was someone who was like, you're doing it. (laughs) I mean, that's a good way of putting it. You're good. You're a good Christian. You're good at Christianing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew the Bible because I was taught it both at church and at school. You were set up for success, I think, from the get. Yeah, I really was. Got it. Got I'm it. not successful at anything else. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I like that. I actually think it's interesting you say that, Justin, because there is something that I and I do think we'll touch on it is there is this feeling when like church is kind of all, you know, and it's kind of like this is all I'm really if there is this feeling like, this is all I'm really good at. Yeah. And I think that's what gets a lot of folks into the predicaments that they potentially get into when they're trying to hop out of ministry. And so we'll definitely get into that. But I, before we do, I want to talk about you started going into going from being a church kid to being a church man. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when that. I became a church man. Yeah, <laughs> you too, Sarah. Uh, I want to go into that arc. Right. So what was it that motivated you other than that being all you knew? Right. What else made you want to take it to like the next level and go being like, I can go all the way, baby. Well, I read Wild at Heart (laughs) and just had my initiation experience with John Eldridge when I became a church man. (laughs) So, no, I mean, that's only partially not true. True story. My guy friends took a bus across the country. They were like, this is just we're we're doing this thing. They rode a greyhound across the country. They're like, we read Wild at Heart. I was like, <laughs> so your your like response is to get wild and 
yeah, ride trip. a bus across the country. Like, it makes, like that's your risk. That's your big I step. I suddenly out. crave adventure. Public transit. Public transit. All of New York is laughing runs. at you right now. All of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's what God wanted for me is to ride dog all the way yeah. across the country. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I think, I mean, there were a couple things. I mean, I think there were there were people in my life that I considered significant that were like, hey, you know, should consider ministry um like every 18 year old facing high school graduation i wasn't sure what i wanted to do with my life i originally was pre-med actually at the college i was going to and then they happened to have also a ministry program so i was like okay i'll just you know switch during the summer and you know because i i experienced a call whatever you call like that i got emotional at church (laughs) and i cried and that that meant that the lord was calling me that's what that meant yeah. to me at the time, yeah. you know, so I just I just kept kept going. And again, I, I continued to be good at it. For some reason, I cannot learn living languages very well, like Spanish or any but dead languages. I can excel at that. So my Greek and my Hebrew were pretty good. And here we are. Got it. Sarah, how about you? Like, what made you want to go the next step? Yeah. So I never thought about going into ministry, although in Canada, interestingly enough, my pastor was a woman. So when I went through confirmation, which is within my tradition, my pastor was a woman. And I didn't realize that was strange for people until I started thinking about going into ministry in college. And I hadn't quite got to the part of the youth group where they tell you that having ovaries means you can't do a lot of things. So (laughs) I missed out on that. But I was part of the Baptist Student Union and um, the Wesley Foundation, which is the Methodist thing on my campus. So I went to undergrad in Mississippi as well. I had a lot of majors because I have a lot of interests, um, including being pre-med. Uh, I actually ended up graduating with a biology and psychology degree. But I felt like I was a weirdo because, A, I was from a bunch of different cultures. I loved like punk rock and hard music. And yet I was a sorority girl. I was just this mix of a person. And I was finding that instead of spending all my time with my sorority, even though, you know, that's what a lot of my friends were doing or all of my time you know, even with college people, I was volunteering with a youth group and I was finding that I was able to sort of be a positive influence on these incredible young folks who I just wanted to spend a lot of my time with. And I think because high school had been so disorienting for me in some ways, even though like I was really lucky, I was welcomed into the cool kids group because I chose the right youth group, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. My boyfriend played football. So I was able to sort of like become part of, in some ways, the inner circle, but I never felt like I fit in because I never really did because I wasn't, although I look maybe like an American, I really, it was a a weird experience. And so um, I was on retreat with one of the youth group kids. And at that point, I'd like switched my major many times and a kid, I'll never forget it on a beach. Like this was my call story, if you will. Said Sarah, like, you know, like we like talking to you about God because you're the kind of person that like you can go play sports with those guys over there. You love crafts. So you like craft with those girls over there. You've had difficulty with eating in the past. So the girls that had eating disorder stuff, I could understand and work with them through that. You know what it's like, you know, to be into the music that all of us listen to. And so you're easy to relate to. And I think the thing that I thought was separating me from everyone else, because I felt like I had too many interests and I never fit in anywhere. It was like the first time that like someone said, hey, you being such a weirdo or so interested in so many things makes you relatable. And I felt a weird sense of home 
And I went and spoke to my campus minister and I was like, hey, um, I think I might be called to ministry. This is like my junior year. And uh, she was like, yep, the rest of us have just been waiting for you to figure that out. Because I never thought of that. Like I thought of acting. I thought of all these other things, but never ministry. And then I went and told my friends at the Baptist Student Union and they, some of the leaders never talked to me again. So it turns out when I shared with them my calling, they were like, uh, we don't actually know what to do with that. Some were great. Uh, one of them very vocal about that probably wasn't God calling me. Not only was I a woman, but I wasn't married. So that was problematic. You know, at the time, I really wasn't sure I wanted to do it. So I applied to the school that was the hardest to get into for your Master's of Divinity at the time. And I got in. And so then I was like, all right, God, I guess that's what you want for me. Because that's not my... How shitty is that idea of God? Like, all right, if I do this and this means... Yes. But if I don't do it, then, you know, it was all this like, can I figure out a way to know, like read the tea leaves of what I'm supposed to do? Because I'd switch majors so many times. Yeah. There's this whole like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so like, if all this stuff lines up perfectly, or if like, if this thing doesn't work out, if I get this parking spot right in front of this church, then like, I definitely, can we talk about that? Can we talk about, there is something, if you speak Christianese, the word is anointing or Mm. calling. And oftentimes, by the way, we're jumping right into the topic, people. If you're listening to this right now, the conversation that I wanted to bring Justin and Sarah on is to talk about the idea of being a professional Christian and all of the wild things that can be involved in that, especially when you go through a faith change, although not necessarily only going through a faith change. So anyway, we're in it right now. Okay. We're in it. We're in it, guys. Just we've done it. Buckle (laughs) up, put the helmets on. We're going in. (laughs) I want to talk about calling. I want to talk about anointing. And I feel like you both have probably talked about this at some length on your own shows. What is a calling? What is an anointing? What what did it mean to you growing up? And then looking back on it now, like, what do you think that actually was? Well, one of the biggest points with our uh, listenership, whether it's that they were a volunteer or whether they even felt called to be like a doctor, like it's not just called in a ministry, people who felt like God had purposed them for one thing. They read purpose driven life and they're like, I've got one thing. And if I don't figure out what the one thing is, then like, I'm not chosen. Right. And like, God forbid you have more than one stream of interest. Like it was just, you know, and so when you think about that, not only are you deconstructing some of your beliefs around um, maybe faith, but you're also like deconstructing almost your identity that you thought like this was the thing. Right. And Justin brought up earlier, which we laughed at, but that idea of like, I had an emotional experience and I felt like I could bring something good into the world. And so that's what that calling felt like. It felt like maybe, just maybe, I could bring peace. Um, For me, justice was involved in it because I did grow up in (laughs) as progressive a denomination-ish as you could get in the South, Um, although not every Methodist church is progressive in the South. Yeah, there was this sense like, this is a calling in that like, oh, this makes sense, right? That moment on the beach, you know, I'm sitting, this kid is telling me, You're the one person we all want to talk to. And who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to hear that I have the ability to bring peace to someone who has gone through a lot? And maybe that's maybe I can keep having that feeling. And I understand now that's a bit of a savior complex. And by a bit, I mean, that's a huge savior complex and leads (laughs) to lots of therapy later. But there is that sense of like, yeah, I can I my life can be meaningful and Mm. meaning filled. Yeah, I, I think I think it was similar to that for me. In that I didn't want to be called, but I felt compelled to be in some ways that weird God like 
evangelical oddness that's like God's going to call you something that you're not going to like, but he'll, you know, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Let's go, baby. Why did I know you were going to say that? Like, I was like, I could finish that sentence. I was teeing it up there. Classic. You can take the man out of ministry, but you can't take the ministry puns out of the man. (laughs) So I think it was like, this just makes sense for me to do. This feels right. This is something I can do. God's calling me to it. So I, I have to say yes. But I was similar to Sarah. I was a not very traditional ministry student. Like, you know, there were people like listening to Cademan's call in their dorm room and I'm like blaring tool. We're not the same. It was always a little bit like off center, which I was happy with. I could be the edgy, cool, whatever. But you are always being pushed by this call because in undergrad, they told me, they said, you know, the call is for a lifetime. And it was very much implied that like, if you leave, you've messed up. That buried itself deep in my head. Yeah. On like a lot of levels. One was just like, I don't want to disobey God. But then there's also like this level of spite. Oh, like you can't tell. Yeah, me. you can't tell me I'm going to fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to fucking wreck this thing. Like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're going to you're, you're going to be dying one day and be like, Justin, he made it. <laughs> it's funny you said what denomination was this? This was the Wesleyan Church, which is similar ish to Methodist, but more evangelical. I think y'all might be like the first people within the Methodist tradition that I've spoken to. Oftentimes, I've had a lot of like ever, just kidding, <laughs> yeah, ever. And this, <laughs> hello, what is a Methodist? <laughs> like, I think on the show we typically I'll have a lot of Pentecostal folks, charismatic folks, non-denominational kind of megachurch energy, a lot of Southern Baptists. Thanks for representing the Wesleyan side. You know, the loudest might be the folks who are within the evangelical tradition of everything that's been going on, right? And so I think sometimes it's easy to forget that mainliners have been around for a really, really long time mm-hmm. and that it has its own joys and issues. And Yeah, well, a lot of the memes that get thrown around in deconstruction spaces about Christians are, are fair, but they're usually targeting the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Right. Not like a lot of the female pastors I worked with with long earrings and short hair. Like, that's not who you Does guys are apply. going after yeah. in general. And that, you know what, for me, that's, it's so true, that idea of calling. So I had that youth group kid tell me what I should do with my life. And it felt like for the first, like I said, for the first time, all of my interests made sense. But I'll say this as well as someone who was talented at speaking and was talented at acting. I had always heard that that was a selfish pursuit, yeah. a worldly pursuit. And so here was my way to be able to perform that was church acceptable. Yeah. I don't think I've really been able to be honest with myself about that. Here was a way for me to get to do what I love, which is create space for people and emotional experiences that didn't feel like it was about me. When you come from a different culture, when you're when you're in a female body, it's always like you almost have to be coy about being talented at something. And so I remember, you know, the first person to tell me I was, quote unquote, anointed was my preaching professor in graduate school. Because he was a black man and he just incredible. And I just appreciated him so much. And he meant it as a, as a gift and I felt it as a burden. And it's interesting how then I thought, well, crap, I can't get out of this. <laughs> like, because I, I just respected him so much in the tradition that he came from. And him saying that I was a great preacher uh, felt really good. It was like being told you're a great performer. And I don't mean that I was trying to perform. I don't 
think that was true at all. I think I was trying to be authentic in that time. And the things that I was talented at were often like even the idea that I was going to be a doctor, that seems very self-focused, right? I want to make a lot of money. And truthfully, guys, as I've been processing in the last year, I think some of my female like idea and identity of like, well, if I become this successful doctor, how am I going to ever find a mate? Because that's kind of the language in the South that I had never really processed. And I don't want to be too big, but I don't know how to be too small. And I never felt like I was the right size for anything. And by that, I mean the space that I take up. And so as someone who was a talented speaker, it felt like that was the best way to go about it. And I think I've met a lot of really talented speakers who it's the craft that they love. It's the messages they love creating. And they find like, this is the way to do it that people don't scorn in some ways. You saying that Sarah is wild. And I see so many similarities. Honestly, I think if you ask any like worship pastor Mm -hmm. who writes music for the church, who plays on stage, like if you scratch deep enough under the surface, they are a person who loves playing music, loves performing, loves songwriting. And the church is like the most accessible, cosmically appropriate way to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I remember telling my mom, like I wanted to be an actor and my mother, who is first generation immigrant from the Philippines, she goes, okay, Naki, that's my, my nickname. She goes, all right, Naki, great idea. But instead of you being an actor, how about you go into entertainment law? It's the same thing. <laughs> It's it's the umbrella. And then you're a lawyer and you have all these contacts. And it's this interesting. I see you like that. If you like that, then you might like this thing that is already pre-approved that falls a little bit more comfortable with and falls kind of in like a safer wheelhouse. Yeah, it feels safe. And then you're pigeonholed for my friends who are musicians and were quite successful in the worship space. Gosh, just all the boundaries and like you have to be this and you have to do that. But if you can get that like figured out, you're going to be successful-ish, but you're always going to be tethered to something that you may not know what to do with. Same for like my friends. I, I have friends who were um, touring sound folks who ended up in the church sphere for a long time because it was a way that they could be home with their family. So if you're a really talented lighting artist, oftentimes you have to be on the road or a sound guy uh, or sound lady, sound human, yeah. sound person. Yeah. Um, you, you often have to be on the road And there comes a time when maybe that's not something you want to do. And so church becomes a space that you can use your gifts. And again, you're getting also the accolades of like, they could have been out on the road making all this money, but they're stead, they're here in the church. Yeah. And it's hard because you question your own, like, what are my motives? Why do I want to be an actress? Why would I think I was good at that? I think that a lot of pastors really are theater kids that just didn't know what else to do. Uh. I used to be like coy about this because I really enjoy being on stage. I do. I like crafting messages like what Sarah was saying, like that art and the craft of that and like being able to like bring people to a point, teach and communicate, move people and not in a manipulative way, but just like this is the thing I need to communicate and shitty communicators aren't effective. So like I really enjoyed that part, but it's like, Podcasting wasn't around. You couldn't make a living talking. You still can't. You still, <laughs> and you still can't. Yeah. Not but like, neither was like, like public speaking, like making a living as a public yeah. speaker. Like what does that even? Like TED Talks like, weren't a know, thing and you don't yeah. really. There were make, no influencers. Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> I would have been so annoying, guys. If I, if, I, if I had been like 
like college Sarah who just really wanted all of her sorority sisters to like love the Lord. Oh, if Instagram Live was a thing like back. Oh, oh yeah. Garbage people. I need you to understand it. Would be, hey friends, like and subscribe, smash the bell icon. Yeah. yeah. Too blessed to be stressed. Basically, large swaths of my life are just <laughs> gone. You can't yeah. look them up. <laughs> Younger folks, you don't know what this is like, but it is a good feeling to like when you go to your hometown and you can avoid people that you went to high school with. Not that I do that. Just some people do. You guys can't do that because the Internet, they find them. They find you. Yeah. So I was looking and I was thinking about what was some of the messaging that I was handed. And while I couldn't find like a video from like the early 2000s when I was in church, like growing up. And so I found a video that I probably wouldn't have listened to as a kid. I probably would have been more of like college kind of church planting adrian but i think what this preacher is saying kind of resonates with what you both were talking about so this is the one and only john MacArthur. oh, oh dear i'm already triggered i was gonna say trigger warning everyone <laughs> if you're listening to this and you cannot stand the sound of john MacArthur, just skip right past it it's gonna be about like a minute and a half so someone asked him he said like what would you say to someone desiring ministry okay no so, it says to a young man bring oh, the okay, actual right, title right. adrian all right thank you sarah for keeping me honest it says what would you say to a young man desiring <laughs> ministry of a man desiring ministry why is it always this weirdly sexual undertone with <laughs> <Yeah>. this guy <laughs> all right so let me play this and then we'll talk about it when i looked at my own life and said what do i want to do um uh, there, there were no supernatural events there were no supernatural events all i could look at was a desire and I think that fits perfectly the New Testament pattern. First Timothy 3, if a man desires the office of an overseer or pastor, he desires a noble work. The assumption there is that this is the normal way that God indicates the calling through desire, through desire. And as that desire flourishes and strengthens, it becomes a singular desire. Um, all I can tell you is there were times in my life when I thought I would be a preacher. Then there were times in my life when I, I hoped I would be a preacher. Then there were times in the progression of that when I knew I would be a preacher. Then there were times when I knew I couldn't be anything other than a preacher or a pastor. This dude has to three-point sermon it. Yeah. Like he's like, all right, what's going to be? Like he can't even not. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how you know it's deep. It goes yeah. real deep. Also, I love that he is standing in what looks like a wave of wood. There is so much wood. <laughs> He, he looks so like he's rounded. floating midwood. Yeah, yeah. Just like, and it, like it's oh just. Oh my god! It's just his upper strange. torso. It, yeah. it looks like there's a puppeteer underneath him. <laughs> yes, yes. Like behind. Well, it looks kind of like the Hunger Games when she's like comes out on the thing and is like, yes. "May the odds ever be in your favor." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's all wood anyway. It's, but it's, it's all, all like wood. the same oak. <laughs> it's oak. It's all so, wood. So this video, I thought. Like obviously, this isn't. I I would not have listened to John MacArthur back when I was you know a Pentecostal, but. This idea of like, there is a desire in you. And in the beginning, you're like, I think I want to do it. I kind of want to do it. And now it's like, I can't do anything other than this thing. And for a lot of people who go into ministry, like that language is, it feels like almost like a recruiting tool 
Yeah. Where you're like, if you can do anything else, do it. Cause that means you're oh, not, yeah. if you, you have, you gotta be a real one to go into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is this feeling of like, I want to be varsity. Like I want to be a yeah. varsity Christian. Yeah. You know, I don't want to sit on the bench. Yeah. No, yeah, I want to be no. one of the real ones. Like, so can we, can we, can you guys talk about that? Did you experience that on your end? Yeah. The messaging was similar for me and it was similar in the sense too, that like, this is a more noble calling the peasants. There are the accountants <laughs> and the doctors and the people right. going after money. Right. Like, the normies. Entertainment lawyers. Yeah. The entertainment <laughs> lawyers. No, you're not an entertainment lawyer, son. You're a pastor. I mean, it really, it appeals to your ego, honestly, like we're being honest about it, but it's this idea that like you, you are the one that is going above and beyond for God. You're the one that's literally giving your life. Hmm. And so that was the kind of the, the hook. You're the real one. You know, you're the one that's really about and everyone else is, you know, they're, they're benefiting from your sacrifice. Mm. And I feel like if you already, like Sarah was saying, like, if you already have this, like, inclination like i can do what i love people are telling me that i'm good at this thing and i'm getting affirmation in a way that maybe i haven't really gotten in other areas of my life because this is like exactly what i enjoy doing mm-hmm. like if i can scratch that itch while also feeling like there is a cosmic importance to what i'm doing and it like means that i'm maybe not a better christian than anybody else but certainly like there is a more noble pursuit or at least the way that that was messaged right like, how about you, Sarah? Like, what was your experience on that? You know, it's kind of interesting to hear that because I think had I listened to John MacArthur, I would have understood that that message wasn't for me. Interesting. It's for men. Like, mm-hmm. guys are, mm-hmm. this is the noblest pursuit. And I think for me, anyway, as a woman in ministry, and I don't speak for all who are female bodied, but I feel like it was accepted in some places and not in others. And in the spaces and places where it was accepted, I was almost seen like a good for you going against the grain, Uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in the other spaces, it was, what are you doing? And you're just trying to buck the system. This is for attention. It's really this weird rub where you're not as celebrated, maybe as a guy who's like, I think I'm going to go in the ministry. Because like, if I would say, I think I'm going to go to the ministry, people would be like, do what? (laughs) <laughs> like, um, why? my favorite story is actually one of my favorite stories is I had my um, application to my grad school and I went to Duke and I w- walked up to my biology professor. And I was like, hey, can you sign this recommendation for me? And he was like, I always knew you'd be a doctor. <laughs> I was like, actually, I'm going to get a master's in divinity. And he was like, why? <laughs> like, he was so confused the money is. by it. Yeah. And I didn't know that he was a prophet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> in some ways, also, I was feeling like, okay, I can buck the system by being that different pastor. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be the cool aunt. You know, I'm going to oh, be the gosh. cool pastor yes. who, because when I got to seminary, I really didn't feel like I fit in at all. I joke around that it was like being legally blonde, but it really was. Like I felt I hadn't studied anything. I thought it was going to be a giant Bible study. Nope. Um, you know, and I went to a really academic school. So it was, I was behind when I started, but I also think he sounds like he's trying to convince himself. Mm. Did anyone else feel that? Like, this is the thing I'm supposed to do. Cause I like to talk in front of people. Yeah. I like to be the center of attention. So I am now. Yes, absolutely. Look at me and my wooden throne, my wooden throne, my wooden shoebox throne. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I also think. There is some good in this in that I think 
in a lot of Christian spaces, desire is seen as a bad thing to want anything. But unfortunately, the thing is, this goes so far. It's like you can want these things. <laughs> you can want to be someone who communicates in a way that transforms lives, but it has to fit into this. And almost the insinuation like, and you can't do anything else. And I have known pastor upon pastor upon pastor whose time was done. Like they had, they had done ministry for a long time and they were burnt out and they didn't feel like they could leave because these messages were so deeply ingrained in them that like, this is the only thing I can do. If I'm not doing this, I'm not doing anything of worth. You know, all this stuff, there's some other vocations, but there's very few vocations where you feel like you've failed an entire community. If my brother, who's an engineer, decides to go to a different company, his whole community isn't like, did he ever love engineering? <laughs> like, yeah. Was he ever really into modems? Now that he's working in this field, like nobody it is like, lie? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like his good friends aren't like, what is happening? Wow. You know, or friends who switch marketing companies, people aren't like, did they believe in Yahoo? <laughs> like, are they just leaving because everyone's leaving Yahoo? Yeah. It's just the thing to do. Yeah. All the cool. He's cool now. Oh, he's cool. He left Yahoo to be cool. To go sleep around. Yeah. Wait, no, that's yeah. <laughs> it's getting really yeah. specific now, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These things haven't been said about. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a unique job. And I do think the whole I can't do anything else is is really a drug with diminishing returns. I think yeah. maybe in your 20s, you're like, I'm doing the thing that I love to do and I can't do anything else. And then the 30s, it kind of wears off. And then you get into your 40s and 50s and it's like, I can't do anything else. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're stuck. And part of our work at on the Recovery podcast and with the community we're trying to create is to help people figure that out. We've done like resume workshops with people. We've, you know, trying to just help people make that transition because I think it's actually a noble thing when you realize your time is done and you need to transition and you're burnt out. Like my last few years of ministry, I mean, I were good, but especially the last six months, I was done. Like I could just tell. I was like this, I'm not able to, I'm, this is, I can't do this anymore. And I think more people need to be okay with leaving. It's interesting that you say that, and I want to talk about what it was like leaving something that you had really kind of given so much of your life toward, because I think there is something baked into the language in the scriptures. I think it's referring to like just the life of a believer in general, talking about I've like faithfully run the race set out before me, like mm -hmm. well done, good and faithful servant, all this language of like at the end of your life, you're going to look back and be like, I did it. Right. I was faithful to the end. Right. And yeah. So I think it's very easy for those wires to get crossed, especially if you are a shepherd, right, a spiritual shepherd where you're like, I'm telling these people that they need to run their race. And so I sure as fuck better be sticking to my race. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you talked about like in the beginning, the battle cry of I can I, this is all I can do like really turns into like a prison of like, this is all that I can do. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's pretty devastating in, in your experience. Can you talk about what it was like leaving? Why did you leave? Was it a faith change? Was it like burnout? Like what made you leave? Sarah and I have different stories here, which is nice. That's why we like to work together because our stories really hopefully reflect both. Yeah. Do you want to go first, Sarah? Sure. I think for me, it's a little bit different in that I had a little bit more permission within my community that I created because I had restarted a church 
my beliefs around uh, full inclusion and affirmation were, you know, we had a trans worship leader and I'm already doing the weird thing because I'm a chick running a church, right? Like that's already the like, what? So I had a little bit more permission in some ways, but I, working with folks who have gone through what so many of your listeners have gone through, you're working with an actual traumatized community. And so you are trying to create something and do it in a way that is not harming people. And it's next to almost impossible to ask people to serve on the committees that are needed for a community to move forward when people have been taken advantage of. I mean, so many people, I was just reading your comments actually on your Instagram, Adrian, and so many people, you kind of had hinted at the subject and so many people were saying, well, I was just a volunteer, but there's no just a volunteer. Yeah. And so when you're aware of how people have been used, it's really hard to create the kind of community that's sustainable. Everything's nuanced. And I think in all of that, my faith had shifted. It's been a roller coaster. You know, you spend just a little bit of time with Brian McLaren and suddenly you think you're a Christian again. But there is this like, or Richard Rohr, there is this sense of like, I didn't know how to sell the thing I wasn't sure I could buy. And the communities that I really cared about were being harmed by the church at large. I would go to meetings and other people would be so excited about things that I literally didn't care about. And the people that I cared about so much would be frustrated because I, I missed one cue. I missed one thing. And so like every Sunday became about how do I share a message that's nuanced enough that everybody in the room is going to feel both inspired and comforted. And also I need to run this million dollar business, but we have zero money. And also like, how do I ask for money from people who have literally been taken advantage of, but also we're helping people in the community because there's special needs folks who go to our church that aren't welcome in other communities and all this sort of stuff. And it just became so overwhelming that I lost my love of people. And that may sound horrible. Um, I have always adored people. I'm an introverted extrovert in that like I really get energized by being alone, but I love to be around people as well. My fuse was so short. I wasn't externalizing that because a woman who does that has all kinds of names. But internally, I was like, if one more person texts me about this, they have no idea what pressure I'm under. And I couldn't do it anymore. I could never meet the expectations of my bosses. And I realized that one of those bosses was God in my mind. I was trying to work to be good enough for this divine being that I was telling everybody else loved them. Mm. And my theology was like, I'm just here to remind you that God loves you. It's not anything you got to work for, all that kind of stuff, right? I meant it, but I didn't believe it for me. I thought I had to work so hard for the divine to think I was good or great or to get the things that all my other friends were getting because I had this screwed up theology too that like the reason I was single was that I wasn't quite getting it right. The reason that I didn't have the, the things that all of my friends have was that I there's something wrong and broken in me. And I didn't realize like, Part of that was I was a workaholic and I kept getting positive feedback, but I was also getting a shit ton of negative feedback that not a lot of people know about. Talk about like <laughs> the double standard, like finding out what my salary was compared to the males that were in the exact same year as me was I literally found myself with a fist one time in a meeting. Like I had a fist, like I made a fist with my hand and I was squeezing my own hand because we were talking about salaries and I realized that I had been underpaid for most of my career. And because I wasn't able to be my own advocate, 
because that's not, I'm not a financial mind. There was no one protecting me. And finally, I thought, you're in a codependent relationship with this job. You continue to try to make it work. You continue to, okay, if I can just get past this, if I can. And I, and I hear that with my friends who are in really bad relationships. Maybe next time it'll be different. Maybe next time it'll be different. And there are so many things I miss about ministry. But the truth is I get to still be part of a lot of that. And the difference between Justin and I is that I'm still ordained in my denomination and maybe until after this show airs. <laughs> and although I hold that loosely because I held it loosely in the very beginning anyway, I still get to be at funerals and weddings and I can participate in them. But I am not having to figure out my theology in a public sphere. And for the first time, I'm trying to work out what I actually believe about a God that isn't my like angry boss, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's absolutely wild, Sarah. And as you were talking, I love your perspective because coming from a denomination where like people these days are using the term deconstruction to land at where you were just like, no, that's just like common sense, right? So like <laughs> right. LGBT like plus inclusion and like Black Lives yeah. Matter and like racial equity, all, all that stuff, you know, helping the people that are, are experiencing homelessness and all this stuff, like all of that is just, that's baseline for yeah. you. For me, a lot of the, the reasons why I had to leave ministry is to just to get that, right? Right. Uh, and so it's interesting to hear you say that even within that, ministry in and of itself is just a, a draining existence. Yeah. This is the first time I'm doing therapy with someone who has very little Christian background. First of all, guys, she found out about purity culture and I came in her office. I'm going to use that word again, mom. I come into her office and my therapist who by her, the way is in her sixties, puts her hand on her hips. And she's like, so, um, I read about purity culture. What the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, that is in no way okay. <laughs> From a clinician perspective, like she's a psychotherapist, it's traumatizing. Even if nothing had ever happened to you, which is not my case, but if nothing had ever happened to you, you still could have massive issues just because of that. Yep. And I was like, oh crap. I always explain like working at a church or like even your denomination is kind of like having a weird aunt that like you can talk shit about, but if anyone else talks shit about it, you're like, I don't know, that feels uncomfortable, you know, yeah. and you're like going to defend it for a long time. And then at some point you're like, wait, no, like aunt, whatever is really isn't okay. All of my aunts are wonderful. But <laughs> you know, that is an example of like, it's that thing that you just get used to because it's around all the time and like the weird language around it and all that sort of stuff. And I think it like, it's a job that nobody can do. And why I bring up my therapist is the same reason. Well, it's because I'm from California. We have to bring up our therapist at least twice an hour. Um, but <laughs> that's like the, that's the way you get to stay in the state. My friend who is a, um, he has his master's degree in organizational psychology. He one time was like, Hey, I just studied your profession. And I just wanted to let you know that it's the most toxic I've ever seen just from an organizational standpoint, because you are the bottleneck for everything. Mm. And everybody who's on the stage is the bottleneck for everything. And not only that, but every year people get to decide whether you deserve to be where you are. So the people that you're supposed to be serving also get to vote on you yeah. over and over and over again. And but you're also supposed to like move the ball forward in the midst of it. And 
at the time I wasn't ready to hear it. So I argued. I was like, that's not true. There's a lot of things that are great. But I think the truth is, Adrian, whether or not the job is progressive or not, the way that ministry has been done before is not possible in the society that we live in. The expectation of being a CEO, a CFO, a spiritual leader, a influencer, the person who's saying the best thing on TikTok, someone who never messes up, someone who also drinks whiskey if they're a little on the rebellious side, but that's like cool now, like all this sort of stuff, like you, you're constantly having to adjust. So many things are blended together that figuring out who you actually are is almost impossible. And I remember it's a story that Justin has heard me tell before because it was so impactful. I was going through surgery and it was a surprise. So I originally was just going into the doctor for one thing and they're like, it's going to be bigger than we thought it was. So I was in surgery. And at the time I was in between relationships. So I had no one to take me there. My administrative assistant, who actually was a dear friend, was coming to pick me up. But then they said, like, she needs to get here now. And so I'm going through surgery and my phone is just going off because there was a little incident at the church. And these people felt like this other person was being offensive. And this was really important. And they actually said, we know you're like in surgery or whatever right now, but this is really important. So when you get out, could you call us? And in my like doped up state, I said, I just want to be a human being who would say that to a human being. And as I've worked in corporate spaces and as I've worked as a coach with like some of these top performers, none of them would expect that they could call me when I was going through surgery because there was a problem that they needed addressed immediately. And I think that's the truth is that no human can do this job in the way that it's been done. Whether it's a progressive space, whether it's a conservative space, it's just not set up. Some people get it easier. You know, I think in some of the evangelical spaces where you have like 14 staff, all you really need to do is like buy cool shoes and maybe read the thing that someone else wrote. Maybe it's a job someone can do, but the way that I wanted to embody it is impossible. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for coming to my TED talk, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, Sorry, thank I realized you for I got really impassioned. I was sat up. I was like, let me tell you. Yeah, no, no, I love it. I want to go down that rabbit trail more. Justin, before we do, though, can you share a little bit about what it was like on your end? And maybe we can kind of find some intersection. Sarah and I were similar in that we were always a little bit rebellious. And so, like, I didn't fit the Wesleyan bill at all. And I knew that going in. I remember thinking, you know, like, that's fine. You know, I can differentiate myself. But in this is kind of how I describe it right out of ministry school. You're a Theobro like they've made you that way. And I got launched into a church. And I, I mean, gosh, the th- like my first year of ministry, the things I said, things I did. I mean, embarrassing, cringeworthy stuff. But honestly, what led to my deconstruction in ministry was just being in ministry and hearing people's stories over and over again, finding out that students of mine were gay. And realizing the party line, if I give that to them right now, they might die. And I'll have to do that funeral. Mm. So maybe I ought to think about this, you know. Or maybe we ought to not joke about the fact that there's no black people at this church. I don't know that that's a good joke. Like, yeah, there were just a lot of little things that over time you start picking up. And they just kind of worked on me after a while. Like, I remember the Michael Brown shooting. My church prayed for the police afterwards, that they'd have wisdom and how to deal with the race riots was the actual phrase. And I was like, wow, uh, 
I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, you haven't? Okay, yeah. Wow. I actually sat, I was sitting, I wasn't sitting uh, next to them, but I knew of a couple that he was a black man and he's like sitting there. Like I checked in with them later. I was like, they were like, yeah, that was not okay. So many things like that over and over and over again over time. And I, I started questioning, I started searching. I, I went to Barnes and Noble one time and I picked up, I think it was Karen Armstrong's The History of God, some Marcus Borg book, just books by scholars that were not approved at all. So I'm just like trying to figure that. And I'm trying to figure out the answer within Christendom too. Like I'm within Christianity. Like what's the answer within? I remember checking out and the, the cashier at the Barnes and Noble was like, what, what is it that you do? And I said, I'm a youth pastor. And she was like, great youth pastor. Good job. Wow. I didn't have the heart to tell her that like, I'm coming to Barnes and Noble in the middle of the day on my day off so that no one sees me buy this stuff. <laughs> you know? Dang. Yeah. And I was like, well, thank you very much. I love that Marcus Borg is the equivalent of porn. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty life. much. It was like, <laughs> um, yeah. And there were other scholars too that were definitely much more liberal or even anti-Christian. But I was like, I need to figure this out. Like the sources that I'm drawing from or the approved sources are not enough for me. You know, and that led me to, you know, a lot of different places, you know, queer theologians. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely affirming in a non-affirming denomination now. I mean, that was ultimately what did me in. And I tried to make it work. I thought like, you know, I have six or eight queer kids in my youth group. And if they get theological chud number four, this is going to go real bad. So I'm going to stay there for them. The wrong people found out and the infamous, you know, board meeting happened. We had it in the youth room because it was the only room big enough. My youth ministry started eating the church because it kept growing. And I was like, you guys aren't using this classroom. It's mine now. So I would just start taking, I would just take stuff. Manifest destiny. It really was. So this was the only room and I sat on the wrong couch. One of those dumb youth group couches that just sinks way too low. And so everyone else felt like they were towering over me. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, like a terrible meeting. That's like something out of a movie. Probably two hours of them interrogating me about gay people and questions I don't even want to repeat because I know they'll trigger people that I just had to like to walk these people through yeah god made them male and female but also intersex people exist like a, a large number like a lot as someone who studied biology a large number <laughs> a lot of people don't fit that category and like them not believing me I'm like we're not even speaking the same language anymore mm, yeah the amount of reality to de denial going on and this is also around 2016 so it's like the reality denial was all over the place. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, ultimately, I was I made them fire me. We're not going to do this like you're going to politely resign thing. I was like, no, you're going to fire me. Nut up, buddy, and do the thing. We're not going to be like Justin was called to another church, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and we fired Justin because he loves queer people. Yeah. <laughs> Say it with your chest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do this, you need to do it. Step up to the mic. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they did to their credit. And I will say, you know, I re reported them to that church clarity site that was around. Uh, maybe it's still around. And I will say, you know, to their credit, they did accept my review of them as not queer friendly. I mean, at least they're upfront about it, right? They were upfront about it. That's clarity. It's important. Kind of getting into the more deconstruction thing. Like I was deconstructing the whole time. And that's incredibly stressful because you have to be secret. Like you can't, you can't even tell your friends because your friends are pastors in a lot of ways. Hmm. 
or even your friends that aren't pastors have an expectation of you. A stake. Yeah, they have a stake in it. It's a very lonely experience. Spend a lot of time checking out bad books in Barnes and Noble. And also, I realized when I left how much of my beliefs I believed on the behalf of others. My Christian faith, such as it was, bottomed out so fast. Because I left, honestly, thinking like I'm following Jesus out the door. That was the way I described it. Mm. Within six months, it was like, sorry, I don't know if Sarah, you know this story, but I was praying and I, I asked Jesus, I was like, are you just a guy? <laughs> and the answer I got was yes. <laughs> <laughs> From the guy you're praying to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but do with that what you will. <laughs> Are you just a yep. guy? Yep. Can you imagine if that was like prayed like at church, like Heavenly Father, every head bowed and every eye closed, every Heavenly Father. Are you just a guy? Yep. <laughs> My favorite prayer in a youth group was this kid who was amazing. He ended up being a semi-pro skateboarder. He's amazing. He like earnestly says a prayer and he's like, Thank you. And said his last name. <laughs> like he was signing a letter. Like, thank you. Gibbs. <laughs> like he was <laughs> like sincerely. <laughs> Faithfully yours, Gibbs. The other day, a very earnest Christian sent me an email and said, in him, in him was the sign up. In him, guys, in him. I'm supposed to just read that. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you. In him, yes. I would say <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start signing off my work email. In, in, him. in him, what? In him, <laughs> I need your audience to like. I would, I would say the Venn diagram of pastors that deconstructed and pastors that giggled at that shit, like, is it's probably a circle. A circle. In him, hmm. in him, in huh? him. <laughs> In him. In, in his hands? Okay. Not better. Not much better. Yeah, not much better. But but like <laughs> not immediately going there. <laughs> There's like at least like a measure of distance. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Three. All right. So I'm going to have to change. All right. Well, we just have a title of yeah. an episode. I'm just going to have the, the description is just in him. In and, him. Yeah, great. Uh, sorry, Justin. We, we kind of stepped on you a little bit. So like in that feeling, once you asked Jesus if he was a yeah. guy and, and Jesus was like, yeah, man, yeah, I'm a guy. What happened then? That was a weird experience, but actually it wasn't even so much that I dropped my beliefs. I think it just, they became so much less important. Like, is God real? Is God knowable? Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell and the divinity of Jesus. And then how do we describe how the divinity of Jesus manifests itself in the theandric union of, you know, la-di-da. You know, all those things that the average person thinks about over yeah. coffee. In my coffee shop, loudly has the conversations about that. None of this matters. I think that's really what it came down to. Like, this just doesn't matter to me anymore. I don't care about it. My life is fine. If it matters to other people, great. Don't harm folks. But And that's changed a little bit for me. But it's like, I, I say I'm a Jesus-leaning agnostic. You lean towards the guy? Yeah. I lean towards Jesus. Yeah. I'm not in him. I lean towards him. <laughs> I in his hands or in him. To him. I am adjacent Justin. to the guy, <laughs> Jesus. I'm adjacent to the man, Jesus. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's a long sign up. Yes. Adjacent to the man, <laughs> Justin. Adjacent to the man, comma, Justin Gentry. <laughs> yeah. 
because I mean, again, I was raised a Christian to the point where it's like it's in my DNA now at this point. It's not going to leave me entirely. And I don't know that I want it to. I think it's also given me a lot of good things. So even like what I call myself, am I an atheist? Am I an agnostic? Am I a progressive Christian? It's just, I, I stopped caring. That's been super freeing, honestly, is that the, the label is not important. Am I a good human has become much more important to me. There are probably some people that be like, well, how do you know you're a good human if you don't have a moral standard? I was like, I'm a human. I know what being a good human is. Like, I know what it feels like when someone treats me with kindness. I don't have to study that. Person that needs to study kindness probably has an issue. Like, I feel what kindness is. And so I can deliver that. I feel what love is. I can deliver that. I feel what you know, fear, courage, whatever. Like, I'm a human having these experiences. So that's enough for me in a lot of ways to be able to write, you know, whatever my moral framework happens to be. And when I don't know what it is, just harm reduction, that's enough. And I think I've overcomplicated it for so much of my life. Hey there, my name is Jake. I'm in Tucson. And yeah, I went through a very big deconstruction while I was a worship leader on staff at a mega church. When I look back at that time, I definitely feel like I was not being my authentic self because I would stand on stage and sing and proclaim these ideas that I no longer believed in, and yet I was encouraging others to believe them. So I felt like I wasn't able to be my true self. And at a certain point, I realized I'm not gonna move forward in my own life, and I'm not gonna be able to grow anymore if I stay. So I ended up quitting, and not too long after that, I ended up at a more progressive church where I was able to be myself, and I was able to be open about my doubts and my deconstruction. And now I actually lead a spiritual community in Arizona that is not um, aligned with a particular religion or doctrine, but is a completely open spiritual community where people are invited to be on whatever spiritual journey that they're on. Um, and, and they're invited to be their full authentic self, whatever that looks like. Hey, Dirty Rotten Church kids, this is Jamie. I'm located currently in Nebraska, and the place I was living while I was deconstructing was Japan. My husband and I were there as missionaries for 12 years total. We had a slow deconstruction, maybe like a slow detachment from the American religious world, but I had a very tumultuous deconstruction while we were still working in that job. I mean, ultimately we went on a journey together, but I decided that I was no longer a Christian and we had to get out. Your post asked how it felt and it fucking sucked. <laughs> it was terrifying. We have four kids. Our insurance was in this, our visa was in this, all of our belongings, like our, yeah, our money, we didn't have other jobs. It was definitely playing a long game of trying to be open with people, but then getting slammed after being more authentic, just a lot of hiding and playing a long game to try to get back to America safely. And when I say safely, I mean like emotionally whole as possible. 
and find ways to get new income and find ways to detach from the church community that had supported us while we were living overseas. I would say that there was a lot of shaking at staff meetings and holding in terror while having to pretend to pray. It was just a very wild time. I mean, now it's great. I feel like I'm a different person. Ultimately, I feel like I was told my whole life that it's raining and the weather's real shitty and you have to hold on to this umbrella. Don't even think about taking it down. You're just gonna get soaked. The umbrella is belief, and when I took it down, it was like, oh my God, it's sunny outside. It's actually really fucking beautiful. I've been lied to my whole life. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with not holding out this umbrella. Not only am I not dying, I'm not even getting wet. Like there's not, this is not a big deal. But I think that working in ministry made the journey to feeling very comfortable with who I am now longer. My name is Alex. I live in Florida. So when my deconstruction started, I was a youth pastor over probably about 30 or 40 kids. So I was preaching every Wednesday night, writing sermons, doing outreaches, preaching on Sunday mornings every now and again in front of my congregation. And so when the whole process of me deconstructing started, at first it just felt like spiritual warfare. I felt like I was being tempted by the enemy. And then as it went on for probably the better part of about a year and a half, I started to realize that a lot of what I was feeling was because I was coming into my own mindset and a lot of the reasons why I was in ministry and a Christian to start with was because of people telling me when I was younger that I had a quote unquote calling on my life. There was this existential dread that if I ever didn't fulfill what people told me my purpose was, that I was failing God. While I was actively in ministry going through all of this, there was a lot of imposter syndrome. I would preach a sermon and people would love it and be moved, whatever. But then as soon as the sermon was over and I went back to the house, I would feel like I was a liar and a hypocrite and just a disgusting human being. When I finally had the courage to walk away from that ministry, it was very rough for years after because I realized so much of my self-worth and so much of my value was tied up in ministry that I had no anchor for who I was outside of it. So it took me probably three or four years to finally rebuild my mind and see that I was more than just what I produced in ministry. My name's Keely. I live in Colorado. I started deconstructing sometime around 2019, but had been invited to be an elder in the middle of 2018 and had a three-year term. So I wasn't working in church for most of my deconstruction, but I was heavily involved. And it was terrifying to start questioning what I had always held so deeply and what I was so involved in. And I felt super stuck in my elder term of three years and felt like I couldn't leave even if I didn't believe in the doctrine anymore. And so I stuck it out, showed up for elder meetings, made it to church, got a lot easier once there was a pandemic and we were locked down and I didn't have to actually go in person anymore. Got to a point where I could hardly sing along with the songs and 
was constantly afraid that people were going to notice that something was off and to call me out for not believing anymore. Until finally one day in May of 2021, at the very end of my term, I went to church in person and we sang Amazing Grace. I started sobbing and I walked out and I never went back. It has been a journey that I do not wish on people because it's so painful to leave behind so much of who I was and have to kind of forge ahead and figure out who I am. But I'm grateful for it and I do hope that people can critically think about what it is that they believe in their faith and how it impacts them and the people around them so that the church can start being less harmful to people. Hey Adrian, it's Justin from Melbourne, Florida. I did start my deconstruction in the middle of ministry school, which is ironic, I think. At the time, I was doing a lot of leadership at the school. Like I was leading missions around the city of Atlanta. I was preaching every Saturday. However, there were things that were happening in my personal life and interpersonal relationships between myself and other staff members where I would see like, where their biblical beliefs didn't line up with the actual Bible. Then I started looking further into what scripture says and what I thought was true ended up not being true at all. My deconstruction journey really lasted for about four or five years. I didn't come to terms with my decision to leave the faith until like 2020 is when I decided that I no longer believed in Jesus or in Christianity. Yeah, it was a long time coming. I felt weird, I felt isolated. I felt like no one would understand what I was going through. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. There's a lot of people who were at the school doing the same thing that I was doing and they just didn't have anyone else to talk to. It wasn't until I found this community that I felt seen and I felt heard. Hi, my name is Erin and I'm located in the greater Scranton, Pennsylvania area. It's real. As far as it goes with deconstructing while I was in ministry, yes, that definitely happened. I worked for a ministry called Young Life. And honestly, when I first started deconstructing, I thought I was making the ministry a better and a safer place. But as things progressed, I realized that my mentality was in a completely different space because my priority was on like psychological safety of the kids that we worked with, not evangelizing and like expanding the mission. And it just felt like a huge disconnect, almost like I was against the ministry by thinking that way. And then as far as it was like to leave, honestly, while this was all happening, I was enduring religious abuse and gaslighting due to um, sexual harassment and like mishandling that the organization took. And so deconstructing along the way helped me see how toxic things were. And it honestly all came apart pretty quickly. So when I left, it just felt so weird and fake to be like prayed for by people who said they cared about me, but none of their actions aligned with it. And so now I really just feel like I left a cult. It's taken almost two years of healing to get to a point where I can finally be like creative and do all these things that I did for the ministry and not feel uncomfortable about it. But I'm better on the other side. There are a lot of people who listen to the show who probably have a very similar experience of it's like, it was everything to me. It was literally everything to me until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. Yeah. 
I'll talk to my friends. And I remember talking to somebody on the phone. He's like, how's Dirty Rotten Church Kids, man? He's like a pastor. And I, and I love him as a human being. And he's always been kind to me. And I'm like, doing okay. And he's like, out of curiosity, like, what do you make of Jesus these days? <laughs> and I was almost like, first of all, in him, out, like, <laughs> peace out, in him, Gibbs. But it was that feeling of like, I don't even have a modicum of interest in following this down to what you would consider a satisfactory mm -hmm. conclusion. Yeah. So I see that as health since oftentimes the, the dating language is used around our relationship with the divine. When someone constantly talks about their ex and just won't stop yeah. talking about their yes. ex, they're not over their ex. You're not over them. But their ex and them have a potential to be friends or have a different sort of relationship, even like, my friends that have gotten back together after a breakup, there was a time when they had to separate all the expectations they had. Like they almost had to unknow the person that they had created. When it comes to people who are so angry about people's opinions about Jesus or all this stuff. And yes, the church has been harmful in some ways. And truthfully, friends, there are situations when the church has been helpful. It's a hard pill to swallow when you're angry at your ex. When you get to that place, where you're like, you know, I don't know that my idea about who I thought this was matters anymore. You can almost re-engage the conversation or not re-engage the conversation, but your mental health is in a different place. I find the people that I have the most generative conversations or curious conversations with are the ones who are like, I don't know. I enjoy thinking about it. All of us spent a good amount of time learning this stuff. You know, maybe I don't want it to go to waste, but I also think there's something in it to revisit. We came out of it. What does that mean? A lot of people have come out of it. What is that? This idea of like, what is Jesus in this moment to you? It's like, he's a guy, he's a dude. Just a guy. Or not. <laughs> like, he is a man who I am leaning yeah. my shoulder upon. Right. And that's, I think, a place that feels so much healthier to start from a conversation. Because for me, there was a lot. There is still. There are moments when I have so much frustration and anger, because even though like, yeah, I came out of a progressive church that I helped create that space. I was the only female pastor in the all male pastor group that met of lead pastors and two men had to fight to get me in there. So you can imagine how welcome I was. The experiences that I've had, I've experienced the evangelical banks mm. multiple times. I got broken up with one time because a guy had to choose between being a worship pastor or dating me because his church said, what would he do if a girl asked if she could go into ministry when his significant other was clearly living out of alignment with God? Oh, so it was like a complementarian situation? Oh, yeah. oh, gross. Well, it was more like the idea of like his church that he was a worship pastor for did not believe in the ordination of women, but he was dating an ordained woman. Uh, and it was like one of the only times there's like several times there are few and far between where I go. I have a bigger education than them. <laughs> like, bring it on, buddy. You want to talk about original language? Like <laughs> Ron Swanson, I know more than you. Yeah, I got a bigger Bible than <laughs> you. Like, don't even. I've got an apocrypha. You don't even know what the fuck that is. Uh, Sarah's mom, that was not a quote. That was not a quote. Mom, I'm that sorry. Was a, that was a Sarah original. <laughs> Dang it. But I would say that there are still times that I care. And that's the place that I'm like, oh, there's still some work to be done. And I don't mean that I want to get to a place where I don't care at all. But like, I'll go into a... Coffee shop, because like whatever reason, Orange County coffee shops are just full of people having like very important Christian conversations that they need to say really loudly. So today there was a girl talking about how God hadn't spoken to her in her fast 
but that was an answer. And I was like, oh no, I go into like, I need to sit down and chat with her because this girl has like come off of a fast. And by the way, coming off of a fast right into coffee, not a great idea for lots of reasons. But then her, her idea that God didn't show up. And then I was like, this is not my business. You work for a coffee company. <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't crawl over the counter and be like, hey. <laughs> I was taught like to have Bible studies in coffee yeah. shops on purpose. Because people might wonder. Yeah. They're like, hey, that's interesting. And you're like, oh, sorry, man. Didn't realize you there. Yeah. Pull up a chair. Yep. So that's the reason why they're so loud, Sarah. <laughs> and that's the thing is like my coworkers. So I'm I work on like the corporate side of a coffee company, but we work within our shops. Some of my coworkers are like young a lot of them are really young. This one kid actually said to me, he's like, why do they talk so loud? Why is it always dude pastors come in here and they talk so loud? And I, I couldn't help it because I was like turning the corner and I said, they're trying to convince themselves. And then I was like, dang, Sarah, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a pastoral moment, but it was an honest moment. Yeah, there's still things that are going to upset you. So it's okay to still have feelings around it. But when you're able to hold things loosely. I think you're in a much better place, you know. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. I want to talk about the Recovery Podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this thing. Because when you told me you were making this show, I remember being like, oh my God, there are so many bad apples who've been like, I don't even know what to do now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like with the exception of being a sound or lighting engineer <laughs> who can easily transfer these skills to, you know, working the Paramore show. Yeah. Talk to me about what inspired Recovery. Maybe talk about your personal experience in transitioning into the normie workforce. And then maybe talk about like how that's gone for you. I knew when I left, I couldn't go back into ministry. That was kind of a decision I made pretty quick. Like, I'm done. And then the lack of resources. There are a couple, but it's primarily for pastors that have become atheists that are trying to get out. And like at the time, that wasn't me. And it's still really not me. So I was like, there's not really a resource for someone who's like, I just can't do this anymore. And I ended up getting a job at an educational publishing company, uh, mostly because I knew someone that worked there. I ended up having to move. So that was a struggle. And we moved so much in ministry too. You're uprooting your family all the time. So this was a move towards stability for me. That first year, going from church to corporate, there are many meetings. I, I remember being like, I've zoned out because I'm depressed and I'm confused yeah. and I don't know how much time has gone by. <laughs> I hope they didn't ask me a question. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I just remember there were many times I came to consciousness in a meeting, like what is happening? I remember just being such a fish out of water, feeling so much embarrassment and so much shame about the fact that I'm fighting over an entry level job and I'm in my thirties and I have a master's degree. That's now useless. Like all of my debt forgiveness that I was going to get through the denomination and the various 
programs like that's gone now. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> there were just so many things swirling around. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I ended up having to leave that company and I'm actually back at that company now. So I'm like, I'm really glad I did a good job, I guess, because they hired me back. But it's like, I was not well. I, I mean, I did go to therapy a little bit and I just did a lot of just work and I got into meditation and Wim Hof and all that stuff and just every, really anything to calm my mind because it was just, I was going a lot of shame just in leaving and bad voices and also the kind of the sunk cost fallacy that goes with ministry a lot of time where it's like, I put this much time in, I may as well keep going, even though it's awful. But there's also when you do leave, you're like, I put 15 years into this. Yeah. And I don't know that I believe in a life after this one. That was like a real waste, you oh, know, shit. like that's how it feels. <laughs> the existential dread, there's so many things hitting you because yeah. it's not just changing a job. Yeah. And then like all these people are still Facebook friends of mine. I moved to Twitter is what I did. But it's also like some of them still depend on me in ways. For the most part, I've weeded out the ones that I felt like were unhealthy. But there are people that are like, genuinely, I'm like, I want to continue in a relationship with you, but it's probably going to hurt you to realize that I'm not who you think I am. It's just a lot to navigate when you're just trying to make enough money to eat. Yeah, I think that's why we started the project was when I left, you guys all knew me and I was, I mean, I was leaving under good circumstances. And I mean, not great circumstances. I was incredibly burnt out. I was the most lonely I've ever been in my life, isolated. I was voted most likely to succeed in high school and to think that I had got to the top of my career, you know, quote unquote, lead pastor. And I knew I didn't want to be a district superintendent or a bishop. There is a grief in there that I, you know, I joke about my brother being an engineer and I think he would grieve if things changed, but it's, it was everything that I was and I didn't know that. And so as Justin and I, I remember I was working on my Airstream and Part of my story is I <laughs> moved, I had to leave the town that I was a pastor in for a while just to kind of get my head straight and to give them space because we were very entwined. When you do a church plant situation or restart, a lot of people were coming because of my voice. So when I was leaving, it was very disappointing for people and I wanted to give a fair shake to the new pastor and I needed to leave for myself as well. It was like I birthed this thing and it was so hard to watch what would happen next, whether it was good or bad, right? And so I, I went and worked on a 1972 Airstream, which is a whole nother story that we could talk about for hours and the metaphor of like banging out dented metal while you're like weeping. And your friend who was a Christian author passed away and her husband is the one who found this Airstream. It's like a crazy. Tell me you're writing a book. Are you writing a book mm -hmm. about this? I will one day. It's okay, cool. a, it, I think it's a little raw still. Okay. But I remember I was on the phone with Justin. And I was like, how did you find a job? Which is like the weirdest question to ask when you're like 40. I wasn't quite 40 yet, but like, how do you find a job when you've been at the top of your game and you've been successful, quote unquote, and now you feel like you missed out on like all my friends that went into marketing are doing great. All my friends that, you know, they've, they've built this career, they built a name for themselves and I built a name for myself, but that name was changing. And the other thing was, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Adrian, but when I would try to just dip my toe in the deconstructing spaces, because I was also, so not only was I leaving 
my career and Justin and I were like having these conversations, like literally like, I don't know what a resume, I mean, I know what a resume is, but like literally I just put my name on the top of it and they hire me. When I keynote speak at things, that's when I have a resume. It's never, or like when I wrote my first book, that's, do they want that bio? No, no, they don't. It's an algorithm. You're up against the company's Google. (laughs) You got to cheat it. Right. Yeah. And also just like, what will I not become a workaholic at? Because I was Mm -hmm. finding those tendencies in myself. I was getting my worth from all of that. Then my own faith was shifting because God had let me down. I played the good Christian girl. Like I I did it. I did all the things. I checked all the things off. And yet my life didn't look like in some ways I'd been promised in some aspects. And it was absolutely jarring in some ways. And I would dip my toe into the deconstruction spaces. And the anger towards those of us who were in ministry was fair and absolutely devastating. Yeah, of course. So there was no space for those of us who, like in some ways, hi, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me, but also I'm hurting too. And you can't say I'm hurting too to people who have been hurt by people like you. And so it was like there was no fair space to unpack this thing when you were trying to do the right thing. And the only thing I can a little bit compare it to is I have a friend who was a black cop who is trying to process what do I do with this? I've always known there were things that I didn't agree with, but what do I do with this? I've worked really hard. And then they're very different situations, absolutely. But some of the emotions are the same of when I go into this space where I'm hoping to find community and it's a place where everyone's like, I'm finally finding community. You are not welcome. You know, and I think that was a place where Justin and I were like, we would like to create the thing we need yeah. and needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we might be only a couple steps ahead. And we are in no way saying that we are experts. But part of my story was that I got a coaching credential and I coach people. And a lot of them are folks who are transitioning out of ministry into whatever the thing is next. And I think that's why, you know, you asked why we started it was because there was nowhere for us to go. And also like trying to find a way to help other people not have the experience I had. Right, exactly. Which was such a hard landing. Anything I can do to help somebody figure out a way to transition a little better or have their ducks in a row a little bit more. And that's been the immensely rewarding part because we have a discord that that is private and they're wonderful people. They're great people. Honestly, it's the dream for Sarah and I because they help each other. And us sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes us. That's the Discord dream, really, where you're not the show. And that was important for us coming out of ministry is we didn't want to make ourselves primary. Yeah. We create the space. We're here, but we're not like... You didn't want to get back to pastoring? No. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Like, if you want a visual of what it felt like... So I'm not married and I don't have kids. And so being in church, oftentimes the pew I would sit in, no one would sit with me. Like Christmas time, I would sit on a pew alone. Not because nobody likes me. People love me. But it was like this weird like, oh, the pastor sits there. So we are all going to sit back here. And it wasn't until I audibly said it in a sermon that people started sitting with me. But that's what it felt like. Like you can sit with us. <laughs> that's the, the joke. But it also truly in the discord, people can say like, I know, oh, your last Sunday is this Sunday. How you doing? Don't be surprised if you feel this thing. You thought you were going to feel relief. And now there's like this huge grief. Oh, you went on a bender. That's normal. <laughs> like, And then there's like this whole section that we have for people that they just talk about what brunch is. 
And that's a, a joke, but it's not right. Cause our whole, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. the joke was one of my friends from West Hollywood. He was like, why are you a pastor? You can never go to brunch. And so that sort of stemmed our people talking about what they do for brunch. <laughs> now that that's they don't great. have to work at a church. Pictures of people's brunches. It's, <laughs> it's oh, become it's a, a thing. thing. I love that. I love that. Glad you brought that up, Sarah. I think when you're a professional Christian or professional believer, you are really typecast into a role where it's like, there really isn't much room for nuance. There is a certain expectation. There is a definitive kind of in and out, like this is what constitutes someone being in, and then this would constitute someone being out. And I think for all of the good that I've seen in kind of deconstruction spaces, I think there still is that feeling of like being a professional unbeliever, or at least being a very prominent unbeliever. It does bring some of those similarities where it's like, hey, like it is very important that you understand that there are ins and outs and there's like certain folks that can exist here and certain folks that cannot comfortably exist here. And I think that's a problem. So I commend you for taking the proactive approach. How has the response been? How have you found people resonating with your work? For the most part, very positive, at least amongst the people that are in our Discord. We're also like a secret podcast. Many stories of like, you know, slipping the podcast to their pastor friends, like, you may want to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, we mostly do interviews with folks that have left. Originally, we kind of had this high-minded ideal of like, we're going to have stories of people that left, but also people that stayed and they're making it work. And that died real quick. Uh, <laughs> um, we have some of those, but it's just, I think, I think the, the need, I think, honestly, was just like, how do you get out and stay healthy? Or even how do you leave well? Yeah. If you have that, luxury which a lot of people don't but if you have the luxury of being like i've deconstructed or i can't do this anymore i'm burnt out and i have the choice to leave how do i do that in a way that's not just like peace fuck y'all yeah i mean that that's a way to do it and that's definitive and clear but maybe not professional sure sure and so how do you even line up a job afterward did we try to stay on that like two planes of emotional, social, like how can we support you? But also that very practical, this is how you get a job. Also, I think pastors generally short sell themselves on their ability to thrive in other environments. You have all the soft skills that you need, which most corporations can teach you the bullshit, Excel, Smartsheet, whatever. I didn't know how to do any of that. And now I'm really good at it. But the soft skills of like, I can sit in a room and I can listen and I can get, read emotional cues. And I can realize, hey, this team is struggling and maybe I need to give them more time. And I can just do that in my head just normally because that's what I've done for 15 years. Like those are actually incredibly marketable skills. I would say to anyone who's a pastor now, it's like I'm thinking about getting out. You have a lot more than you think you do. You just have to figure out ways to say it that will get you in front of somebody. Yeah. And from the social perspective too, the thing that has been really surprising, you know, about the reaction is people willing to say, I don't know how to do friendship where I don't feel overly responsible for the other person. Yeah. Oof. Especially if you were a church planner and I know you were Adrian, like almost every relationship that you're meant to have has an agenda, you know, and you don't even know you're doing it. The number of times I went to bed thinking, oh gosh, I've said a thing in my run group and now everyone's going to think like Jesus is bad. There's like this whole thing. And so how do you a find friends as an adult when you've completely left in some ways the community that you once had, that built-in community. How do you get honest in your relationships, realizing that there's very few professions where 
like obviously if you're the boss a lot of times you do have to have that wall up or that was the way that before our St. Bernie Brown was around, you know, authenticity wasn't welcome. I think that that's also been a big surprise for me is the number of people who have been able to say, oh yeah, me too. Like it was really hard for me to figure out how to just be a friend. Mm. And I've heard that from therapists, social workers, all kinds of people like, oh yeah, I don't know how to like not do my thing on the people around me. And now I'm having to walk away from that expectation. So it's been really lovely. Like People are from all over the world, too. And I know you've had that experience with the bad apples, too. And so it's really fun to see that there are some universal experiences and ways that we can be there for each other that we didn't expect. I think Justin and I, we understood that we were doing a niche thing. And I like love a pun. And Adrian's been in meetings with me where I just I just I was like rev covering and then I was really proud of myself. Um, and I was like, <laughs> we got to do something with that because I've got the name. Um, <laughs> but I like I've been surprised about. How many people, when you say, oh, this is the thing, are like, oh, yeah, that's needed. (laughs) So, Justin, you already did it preemptively. I was going to ask, what would you say to someone who is kind of resonating with some of the stuff we talked about, who's looking to to move out or is kind of kicking it around? So is there anything you wanted to add, Justin, and then we'll kick it over to Sarah? I mean, I think if you're feeling like you need to leave or you feel like you're under the gun, like if they knew that I believe whatever, make your plans now and try to exit well i would say that that'd be my biggest encouragement and that it's okay to leave i remember feeling that like is it even okay to leave like or do i have to stay to the bitter end your health your spiritual health if that's a thing for you but certainly your emotional physical health too is more important than probably any job you're gonna have that's got to come first And that's going to be a hard step for a lot of pastors because they're not used to thinking that way. But that has to happen. So I would say that first, for sure. Because I got in a position where I had a plan, but my plan was way too long. I was going to leave in like a year or two. I was like, okay, I know I'm going to ministry, but there's these, you know, this group of kids that I've really connected with and I want to see them graduate. But then suddenly it was like, no, you're gone now. So I really got thrown out on my ass. And anything you can do to prevent that experience for yourself is going to pay huge dividends, even if that means leaving, quote unquote, earlier than what you wanted, especially with the way the evangelical church is right now. There is no tolerance for difference. I mean, people that are pastors now know that more than even I do. because I got out before the inauguration or maybe it was I don't know what whatever it was like. I was not a pastor during the Trump years, but the vindictiveness, too is also there, I think, more than it has been before. So if you're thinking you need to leave, be as wise as possible. Use a biblical metaphor. Probably been innocent as a dove most of your career. Now's (laughs) the time to be wise as a serpent. I like it. You need to do that. Serpent time. It's serpent time. (laughs) It's serpent time. (laughs) It's serpent time. They've seen that over and over and over again. Where someone's like, yeah, I think I need to go. I, I'll, you know, I'll give it a couple years, and then they just get it the rug pulled right out from under them, and it's so painful to experience, and it's so painful to see. And again, you have—I'll just reiterate—you have skills to succeed in most fields. You'll figure it out. This is a new beginning for you, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. Love that, Justin. How about you, Sarah? The thing I would say and have said many times is, if you think it's time to get out. It's important for you to understand that you can have impact, even if you're not a pastor. That giftedness that you brought in, your ability to encourage people, your ability to see things in people, 
the ability to ask those important questions, the ability to question things, that doesn't go away. And you still can have impact, whether you're working a corporate job or coaching people or whatever it might be, the gifts that you brought to that, you still can have impact. Because I think some people, the fear is like, if I step out, I'm just going to have a job that doesn't mean anything. But your job doesn't necessarily have to be the spaces that you have to mean something, right? Like even if it's like you're going to be able to be more present to the relationships around you now, because we only have so much energy for that. And I would also say to someone like, it's okay for a little while for your job not to have to be so meaningful. Both, yes, you can step into impact right away if that's like super important for you. But if you need like a little break, it's okay for you to have the kind of job that allows you space to be the person you want to be in the other parts of your life. And also like just give yourself a break, whatever that may look like. And this is the part that was important for me was that they will go on without you faster than you are ready for. And you cannot control the narrative of who you were as a pastor. Sometimes I wanted to defend the actions because um, some folks in leadership within my denomination really um, had the whole, she couldn't cut it thing because she did it wrong. And the truth was like, no, I, I begged you for the support that I needed. But for a while, I was like, I couldn't hack it. And I, I think that was important for me to know, like, no matter what I did, it was never going to be enough. And I can't control that narrative. And also my community is going to move on without me. And that's healthy and it's good. And I also can't control that. And in many ways, it's good for me not to control that. So whether it goes well or not well, I set it up as best as I could for a handoff and I had to release it. And so, yeah, I would say be prepared for the whole world not to have needed you as much as you thought they did. And that that's actually like a super healthy thing. I think that's lovely. And as you're talking through it, it's hitting for me in, in, in a lot of ways. I would say if, as someone who came out of ministry, if you're in ministry now, Justin touched on it earlier and it was kind of a mind fuck. <laughs> if you feel like you're going to live eternally, mm -hmm. then like 15 years of time dedicated to a ministry is just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. But on the other side of it, if you get to a place where you're like, we get kind of one shot at this, then all of a sudden your time becomes incredibly precious. And I would just say, that you are so important and your time is so crucial that you absolutely deserve to just wring every last drop out of this thing. If you approach it that way, I think it makes big changes more palatable and disappointing certain people, fine. So I appreciate you both for, for saying that. I think the one question that rocked my world that I would offer is if you go to a quiet place and space, whether that's in yourself, and you ask yourself the honest question, if I'm exactly where I am right now in a year, will that be okay? And if the answer is that fills me with absolute dread, then it's probably time <laughs> because your life is as precious as Adrian is saying. It is absolutely precious. And you deserve just like everyone else deserves to have a life and to be a human. I love it. Anything else you want to add to that topic, y'all? I think we fucking we, crushed we it. We fixed and that's it. Everyone feel we, good? We did. We, we're good. We fixed it, everyone. No one's working at church anymore. We're all just having brunch. This is great. <laughs> Mimosas for massive, everyone. Truly the dream, honestly. <laughs> we Are we single-handedly responsible for just exploding brunch all across evangelical areas? I would hope so. Sinfluencers. Sinfluencers. We got called it once. And then Kevin turned into a t-shirt. But yeah, we got called Sinfluencers.
All right, y'all. Well, I think we have time for one last segment of the night. I know we're coming up on time and I want to be respectful of it, but if you all would humor me for one last segment, that sound good? Of course. Well, it's fine. All right, this is a segment I like to call Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, smoke, sip, smoke, read. Hey. So you know we read that shit. Hey. shit. Only sip the finest party lit. On my couch and I be so you're thinking, listen to these idiots. But here you keep on listening. So, Justin and Sarah, in case you don't know, Sip Smoke Read is a section where we talk about what are you sipping? What are you smoking? What are you reading, watching, listening to, participating in, uh, physically engaging? What are you doing that is helping you get through? these unprecedented times uh, called life. Uh, I'll go first and then you guys can go. Sound good? Okay. This past Friday, I got a new tattoo. Uh, I get an annual tattoo every year. I started when I was 21 because I was like, yeah, you can't say anything, mom. And uh, I can drink and I can get a tattoo. And so uh, this year I got a tattoo and it's my first like nerdy tattoo. Every other tattoo I had was usually like, a, let's be honest, like a Bible tattoo. And then once I left church, then it was still kind of like a, semi-spiritual or very personal. And this one is just kind of like a nerdy tattoo. So there's a book series that I got into over the pandemic called The Court of Thorns and Roses. And then there's a there's a dagger in that book called Truth Teller. And so I got the Truth Teller dagger right here. Oh, nice. Dang. I know. And so- That's neck adjacent. It's neck adjacent. It's like in neck, right? You're almost a FIFA soccer player. <laughs> like it's that close. <laughs> I'm like really trying to like, how close can I get to, you know, SoundCloud rapper energy? And so like when I went to go get get it, she's like, how big uh, shout out to Puka in Miami, like how big of a tattoo do you want? And I was like, you want to like inch it up on the neck? Like, that's kind of cool. And she's like, are you trying to be a bad boy? I'm like, I'm trying to be a little bit of a bad boy, Puka, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. Can you, safely. Like, yeah, like safely. <laughs> For people to be like, is that a is tattoo? That a tattoo? And like, then... Can you humor me? Yeah, exactly. So I got the tattoo. Surprisingly, just so you all know, from like the base of the neck across the trap to the end of the shoulder, it does not really hurt. Like if it hurts like the way all tattoos feel like cat scratches, but you would think that it would really hurt because of its proximity to the base of the neck. It really isn't that bad. So I just encourage all of the listeners all across Bad Appledom. Go get a tattoo. Get a neck get tattoo. Get a neck tattoo. <laughs> you hear me? Get a neck if tattoo. If you hear one thing, if you got one thing out of this episode. I want you. In him. In him. If you get two things, in him get and a neck, neck tattoo. tattoo. Get in him tattooed on your neck. Right Just here. right there. In him. Other than that, I don't really drink as much these days. I will drink on like times I'm hanging out with people. I wake up dehydrated and I don't get a good workout in the next day. So I'm like leaning into it. But whenever I do, I try and like really dial in a good cocktail, do something fun or do something I've never done before. And so I looked up the recipe to make a green tea shot or a green tea cocktail. I had one two days ago. So good. Someone told me about it. Like you should check it out. So for those of you who don't know, it is uh, Jameson, peach schnapps, and then sour mix. And so don't buy sour mix, like make it just equal parts, lemon, lime, and simple syrup. Mix it up. It is so good. Uh, and if you want, sometimes like, you'll add like a little bit of Sprite if you want like a little bit of bubbles, but it is great. So Sarah, you've done a uh, green tea. Yeah, the other day I just had like a tiny bit of my friends. My friend got it as a shot. Tastes like Arizona green tea. Delicious. So good. I am watching uh, Drive to Survive. Season five is back. I'm a Formula One nerd. So there is a series based around the Formula One races called Drive to Survive. Really, really good. 
So that just started. We're watching that now. I just finished She-Hulk. I had never gotten around to watching She-Hulk, so I decided to watch it. It was a fun little show. Yeah. You know, people hate on it, but I thought it was fun. There's a lot of like breaking the fourth wall energy. So a lot of Deadpool energy. So if you're into that, then you might like it. And then I just started The Good Place. I've never watched The Good Place. I watched that over the pandemic. Everyone who tells me says it's lovely. It is. It's good. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to watching that. And then last but not least, I have recently started. So I do a little bit of martial arts that I something I started picking up just the past couple of years. And I just started taking Brazilian jujitsu. It has been a lot of fun. I'm terrible. I'm incredibly stiff. I am clueless. What I love about Brazilian jiu-jitsu is you can't like pretend to be good at it the way you can pretend to be. You know, if you watch enough martial arts movies, you can like pretend to be good at karate in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But you really can't pretend to be good at jiu-jitsu. One thing I've loved is the whole premise of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is you don't force anything. You just got to adapt. Ooh. And you can have a game plan. And it's kind of like wrestling ninja chess. And you have a game plan. And if your opponent does something different, there is no point exerting your energy for it to force it in that direction. So instead, you just go with it. And I was like, man, that is something that I can apply to my life. So what I have been doing is just really been trying to lean into the process of learning as a complete newbie who knows nothing. But I think as someone who is historically not good with going with the flow, I think BJJ will be good for me in that in that regard. Love that. That's it for me. That's it for me. That's all I had. So those are my things, right? Uh, so tattoo, shows, cocktail, and then Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Sarah, would you go first or go next, I should say? Sure, yeah. What am I drinking? I, look, I also had the realization, the pandemic helped me realize that I don't sleep as well. I love a really good red wine, but I was, you know, realizing, oh, I don't want to do that quite as regularly, but I like a hard seltzer. And I know that's mm. like a really unpopular Says who? opinion, especially because I'm Canadian oh. and I should like beer. <laughs> and I do like ish, you know, I do like beer, but I, I've really gotten into hard seltzers. I think because I'm a runner for me, I just need to stay hydrated. So there's no need to do hard liquor. What's your seltzer? Uh, seltzer water with like bitters in it. No alcohol, just sort of that. So you get the energy, get the vibe. Yeah, I like that. Two things I've been reading. So the book Lighter by uh, young Pablo, let go of the past, connect with the present and expand the future. I just looked it up because I couldn't remember if it was called let go or lighter. So I had to look it up, but it's been really good so far. It's just a book really about all that we've been talking about. How do you hold things a little bit more loosely? And then a coach that I work with recommended this book. And I will tell you, this book is one of the most practical books I've ever read on money called overcoming under earning uh. friends. <laughs> I'm not one to like do self-help books. That's not true. I do. But <laughs> this book has been really helpful in identifying the reasons behind I often don't negotiate or I'm afraid of money. So this has been great. Overcoming under earning has been really good. Drinking seltzers. I just watch Only Murder in the Building. Is that good? Oh, I love it. It's so good. Okay, I need to get on it. It's right up your alley. I love it. I love quirky humor. It has just like, nuanced humor so i like it and i also listen to a lot of murder podcasts so like it kind of fits both of those oh and i run i just ran a half marathon uh sunday night Ooh. actually adrian you know in some ways it's similar to your jiu-jitsu experience i was a sprinter in high school and then i started running long distance as i got older because no one you can't really sprint as an adult unless you are going to very specific track meets when I left church, realized that the people that I was running with have really become a community for me where I never was Pastor Sarah. So me leaving didn't affect them. I am just Sarah. 
to them. And as much as I try to charm or be like, nope, I'm just part of the team. And it has been, I mean, I've been running with them for years and years. A lot of the people I run with are very fast, like Boston qualified. I'm not that. I'm like you, like I'm in there and I've always been an athlete. So kind of sucking at something. I'm not, I don't suck at something. I realize how lucky I am that I'm fast-ish, but not really the fastest. But this Sunday we uh, decided to run the Vegas half marathon together. And what that meant is our fastest runners would run up and run back. Oh, It just felt like a huge metaphor for what we've been for each other over the last couple of years. And so at the very end, we decided to cross the finish line, all holding hands. And it was, and it might not make sense to anyone who's not a runner, but you're very emotional, Mm. uh, usually in your last half mile. And so to look and see the quality of people that I have gotten to be in community with and the difference in runners and the fact that some runners that like are used to like knocking times out of were willing to run as slow as our slowest runner was just beauty. That's lovely. So yeah, I have that image in my head. Somebody videotaped it. Like our friends were watching it and I guess videotape is not what we do. We say videotape. No, they, they, they shot it on film. They shot it. <laughs> they, they were film. They're videotaping <laughs> in, the, in the motion anyway. pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So they sent it to us and I didn't expect to tear up looking at it, but it really made me tear up to just see all of us in a place of finishing together. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Justin. All right. I drink a lot less now. I'm sensing a pattern. Yeah. This is like what's called sip, smoke, read, and we're all like, "Mm, sipping, don't really sip as much. I mean, I had a Tobu Chico ranch water while we were talking. There you go. That tracks. That's good. Well, I think mostly because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was drinking maybe every day, as we all did. Yeah. People said, you're either going to come out of the pandemic a drunk or a baker. And I was kind of (laughs) like, why not both? Yeah. (laughs) You put me in a box. I'll show you. But I have been really into, I don't know if this is going to sound cliche to some people, but I don't care because I'm 40 and I just don't, I don't, I do not care. But I've been really into making old fashions for myself. Oh, respect. I like that for you. I mean, with like a sugar cube and the bitters and you mash it around and you do the thing and the orange peel, like do it right. If you do it right, it's just like, this is, this is a fine cocktail. I really enjoy this. So I made one Saturday that was more whiskey than anything else. I'll just say it's it's a lot of whiskey. Is there a whiskey that you particularly go for? Yeah, but I'm I'm not like a whiskey guy. I'm just a guy that likes whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) They're different. There's there's a distinction. There's a distinction, you know. I'm pretty sure I've dated a whiskey guy where you're like, really? Like, calm down. Relax. Yeah, I've tasted these and they both taste like alcohol. (laughs) Right. So the area that I live in was the center of prohibition for the United States. Straight up like bombed saloons. So there's a High Banks distillery is what it's called. They have the whiskey called Whiskey War. There was a guy that like the prohibition folks were going to come and destroy his bar. And he comes out with guns and starts like shooting at him and stuff. It's like nuts. Dang. They now make a whiskey for him. (laughs) There's actually a lot of distilleries and breweries now, which is really funny to me. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'm drinking. I mean, I do drink that and like water and tea and coffee. So um, not super exciting in the drinking part. I did start, if you're a fantasy person, um, I did start Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. I've kind of slept on him for a while. And, you know, people love Brandon Sanderson. So, sure, I'll Brandon Sanderson. Mistborn. This is one of my favorite things, Adrian, not to interrupt, but Justin is like this 
super nerd. Yeah. That like nobody knows about. Like oh. it's like a hidden because he does CrossFit. So you're like, you can't dip in both worlds. Oh no. Oh he no. He is an undercover, like <laughs> reads fantasy, plays D D. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah, I do play D D. Um and other tabletop role playing games. Not as much because I also have children and, you know, job. So I am reading that right now. And it's, you know, it's good. But <laughs> it's a great Yelp review. I don't have. <laughs> I mean, these books aren't super long, but other Brandon Sanderson books are like these 5,000 page opuses that I just don't have time for anymore. Like I read The Wheel of Time. I read all of it. I started when I was in high school and I finished in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> but so i did you spun it. that wheel real hard <laughs> yeah but it's like every book's like a thousand pages i just i'm realizing my ability to read books like that is just not it's just not there anymore and i'm okay with that i've accepted that my reading preferences have changed they've deconstructed mm. they have deconstructed uh so that's that um i am you know speaking of crossfit i coached crossfit i did the crossfit for close to 10 years and I'm trying to get back into getting stronger again. That's kind of a thing that I do. I go in my garage, I throw things around and I yell. Kind of a me time, if you will. But I am trying to get stronger again. I lost a lot of strength and just general kind of skill level there. And so I'm trying to build that back. It's weird because it's not just the being strong. It's just the physics of it, the way your body moves. And it's just kind of fun. Throw something over your head. It's like, oh, that was 205 pounds. It's over my head now. Dang. So like Olympic lifting type stuff, like powerlifting type stuff? Yeah, Olympic lifting. Uh, I, I like Olympic lifting better because it just feels just more satisfying, I think. It's incredibly impressive to watch. It yeah. is. It is. I'm not quite where I was before, but I'm kind of just trying to build back to it. And also realizing that like, you know, two years of not doing it is a really long time for your hips and your joints. <laughs> but also just embracing that journey too, like being kind of going back and being a beginner again and and just trying to get strong and also i am running a half marathon in may so ah. I, that's going to conflict with my strength training but we'll see mixing it up just mixing it up just grab the hand of everyone beside you and see yeah. if they like, accept it at the, at the end <laughs> start grabbing random hands help me just <laughs> help me i squat i don't run i squat help me i squat <laughs> i'd be like please don't don't touch me <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about please, help me please, please help me please sir i squat these thighs were made for squatting not running <laughs> That's a song, right? It's a country song. These thighs are made for squatting. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. Anything else, Justin? Uh, I think that's kind of the highlights. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, thank y'all for this. Oh, thank you. This has been so much fun. It's been great. This has been a blast. So folks, if people want to connect with you, listen to your content, partner with you, support you in any way, give us all the things, both collaboratively and individually. Tell us all the things. For Revcovery, just, you know, R-E-V-C-O-V-E-R-Y. Look that up in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get them and we'll show up. We do have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Revcovery. That's how you get access to our Discord. Those are kind of the things. We're also on socials and Sarah does an excellent job at Instagram. I do a fair job at our Twitter. Just going to be honest with you, folks. For me personally, I'm at Justin G. Gentry. I have another podcast with another friend of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids with Tori Williams Douglas. It's called Go Home Bible, You're Drunk. And if you're like, I'm not a former minister, uh, I really appreciate this conversation, but I just want to get back to making fun of the Bible. <laughs> that's the podcast for you. Yeah, perfect. We kind of bill it as a um, drunk history meets Sunday school. We have different guests. We don't always drink. Like I said, I'm not really as much of a drinker, but sometimes the Bible, just reading it and trying to make sense of it 
confuses you to the point where you feel like you're drunk. <laughs> but we have drinking games. We'll give you a life verse if you donate. Lovely. We randomly open the Bible <laughs> and we point our finger and we read it. And that's your life verse forever. I love it. From the Lord mediated mm. to you by your ministers, Tori and Justin. So if you're into that, um, please check it out. It's like Go Home Bible, You're Drunk. It's at Go Home Bible on all the socials. And those are kind of the main things that I'm up to. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me at Rev Covery and also at Rev Sarah Heath because uh, I still have the Rev in front of my name. We'll see how long that lasts. I am terrible at Twitter, just so you know. Also Instagram, I feel like I'm transitioning a little bit in how I do Instagram. But but when Sarah is good at Twitter, she's really good at Twitter. Mm. <laughs> every now and then, Mason Menenga makes fun of me all the time because every now and then I just drop in, say something, and I leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's called the posting ghost. Sarah won't post something for three months and then she just posts this like banger that just like takes <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I get people fired up and then I'm like, that was good for me. I'll see you later. And then actually I'm starting to rework the branding around making spaces. So that was a podcast that originally I did on my own. Then I had, did with a friend uh, who is a friend of all of ours, but I did it with Josie and now I'm going back to doing it on my own, hopefully trying to figure out uh, editing around that. So wait for that to come. But I also coach folks who are asking all these questions of like, what's next for me? And if you feel like that's something that you and I'm, I've never really been good at sharing that and then found out a bunch of people were asking if I could coach them. So yes, I am a sort of, well, I'm getting my certification in ICF. So I am someone who loves to help people move forward in what they're doing. So if you want to hear more about that, you can find me revsarahheath.com. And it's not a great website at all, friends. It's terrible. <laughs> I didn't design it. The person's very nice, <laughs> but it is like almost it's a little girl bossy, which is not my vibe. It's not GeoCities bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to try to fix that. But I work for a coffee company in-house coaching and doing uh, business administration stuff. So it's hard to like spend all this time in the afternoons when I'm coaching clients to also redo my website and fix our podcasting stuff. So. You can find me wherever. We're very open to hearing from people and we're so grateful. People DM us all the time, almost daily to tell their story. And it's, I just want people to know they're not alone. I love it. If you're wanting to support Dirty Rotten Church Kids, go to dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. There's the Instagram, the TikTok, the Twitter. There is a Teespring if you want to get some merch. It's so good. This is the final season, y'all. So if you want to immortalize forever your bad appledom, go ahead and grab the shirt because once it's done, y'all, it, that, that's it. If you want to support my work on Patreon uh, for this last season, that link will be there. There's access to the Discord as well as bonus content. The video version of this interview will be posted on the Patreon and only the Patreon behind the paywall because I'm like that. And you can see how broken my camera on my I love it. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it looks kind of like a Cindy Lauper 80s video. Yeah. I actually think it has charm <laughs> and I think you need to run with it. You need to embrace it. Yeah, you need to lean all the way in. <laughs> I mean, I'm in my basement and there's like a cartoon pickle behind me <laughs> that my daughter drew. See, and if you're not following, if you're not on Patreon, you will never know any of these things. You won't know the pickle. You won't know my dog that kept walking in to eat really loudly. Nope, you won't know. You won't know. Very, very good. Other than that, I think that's all of the thing. Justin and Sarah, thank you for this. This has just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show at all is just really, really great. I appreciate you both so much. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thanks for being my co-host on this episode. Everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Keep up the dirty work, everyone. And remember, it's, it's all, all going to be okay. Special shout out to Sarah and Justin for hanging out with me on this episode. It never ceases to amaze me how similar our experiences are. Thanks to the Bad Apples for sharing their stories. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I've cried twice in my life.
Once when I was seven and I got hit by a school bus. And then again when I heard that Lil Sebastian had passed. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.